Hello again, everyone. We are back with the debrief. And as we near the end of the transfer window, indeed for Saudi Arabia, that is tonight, we have a special deadline day-ish edition of the debrief. As ever, Ben Jacobs, whose um, phone has been hotter than a potato last year <laughs> and this year, about as a bag of peas in the freezer, uh, it, it's been relatively quiet, Ben, on the uh, on the transfer front, and I suppose that might be my first question: is is why has it been so quiet this year? Yeah, I think that Jurgen Klopp is running out of energy at Liverpool, but we need more energy into this <laughs> transfer window. So if we do get a mad couple of days, then a flurry of extra deals might make it dramatic, and there'll still be some stories late in the window. I think the main reason, Angus, that it's quieter than perhaps expected is. Obviously, financial fair play and profit and sustainability as far as the Premier League clubs are concerned. But also, some of the right targets are not available in January. Victor Osiman, Ivan Tony, to name but two that we know clubs are looking at. Chelsea and Arsenal, for example. And then I think that when you know you're going to spend big in the coming summer, or alternatively, when you've already spent big in the previous summer, the January window is always likely to be difficult and quiet and some say boring. I certainly don't see it that way. So Arsenal obviously got in Havertz and Timber and Rice and Chelsea brought in Moises Caicedo to name but one. Manchester United spent above their original budget when they brought in Anana and Mount. So you can understand why clubs either feel that they've spent their money or they're happy with their business. And if you're buying right, then... You should have quiet windows, otherwise you're not doing your job. So I think it's a combination of those things. Big summers from some of the clubs, coupled with the fact that they are maybe saving budget as we look ahead to next summer, and then added into the mix for many clubs, the financial situation and the worry of getting punishments. And all of that, I think, has combined to lead so far anyway. The window's not shut yet, but so far exactly. to a quiet January. We've still got a little over 48 hours to go uh, in England, certainly. And as you say, the end of today is the end of the Saudi window. I think probably what's surprising is that there are so many clubs that have been so quiet. Often it's the way that a couple of clubs will spend big. Look at it this time last year. Um, Chelsea spent big, didn't they? And Newcastle spent. So, you know, there was money being spent, but this time around, uh, this, this time it is very noticeable how little money has been spent. Anyway, uh, despite that, there will be money or certainly plenty of loan deals in the coming 48 hours. And we're very interested to hear from you. Let's have your questions in. We've got Fabrizio Romano coming up very shortly, but your questions are always welcome. And Ben, I, uh, me and uh, Fabrizio will answer as many as you can over the next half an hour or so. But let me start off in Saudi, bearing in mind that's the most pressing uh, window that is going to be closed, Ben. A deal that has been done, uh, Ivan Rakitic to Al-Shabaab. Yeah, this one's going to be official on the Shabab side very shortly, but Sevilla have already confirmed it. And I think it suits all parties in many ways. Rakitic had made a very emotional return back to Sevilla. He's in his mid to late 30s now. And Shabab wanted to be ambitious in this window. They even looked at Alvaro Morata at Atletico Madrid. I know we'll talk about Miguel Almiron, another target, but that one's off. But Rakitic, they've got 
over the line. It happened relatively quickly. And part of the reason for that is that dealmakers had also approached Rakitic and tried for him over the summer period. So he already knows what he's in for. And Al-Shabaab, unlike a number of other Saudi clubs, even the big ones that are controlled by PIF and Shabaab are not one of those clubs, have been able to move almost in a perverse way because they couldn't over the summers. There was big board upheaval. They tried, for example, for Damari Gray, who ended up going to Alitifak, Stephen Gerrard's club. And when there was an election and a new president coming in and all manner of politics behind the scenes, they were stopped from moving and signing off deals. And that meant that they didn't have a particularly productive summer, but there's budget left for them. And that's why we're seeing them being ambitious now and they might surprise us with one more before the window shuts, but Rakitic is a done deal. He'll be off to Al-Shabaab. It's a contract until the summer of 2025, and everything is now done. The medical's complete. The contract's been signed. Sevilla have announced that he's gone, so we're just waiting for the formal announcement from Al-Shabaab, which we expect in the next few hours. Well, that's good Good news. It's, it's always quite nice to actually see something more or less completed and we can uh, jump up and down about it. Um, I also think that's quite important from a Saudi point of view to see another player, look, uh, towards the end of his career, not towards, at the end of his career, but a, a great name going out there when there's been so much difficulty um, recently over names and departures, most notably Jordan Henderson leaving. And... I suppose the discussion on Karim Benzema, Ben, is there any update on on the uh, French striker? Well, I think we've got a lot of rumour and it's absolutely true that it was tense between Benzema and Al-Itihad, but the expectation is now, and not just because it's the final hours of the window, it's been like this for about a week, that Benzema will stay. So for Benzema to exit, it's not just a case of the player potentially wanting a move away, although... Those claims were slightly exaggerated. He didn't hand in a transfer request. What he said to the club was just that if the right opportunity presents itself, he would like permission to explore it. And he said that directly to the club in a meeting simply because he didn't want to go behind their back, which is kind of what Jordan Henderson did to begin with before realising that he also had to return to the UAE because that was where there was a mid-season training camp in Abu Dhabi and tell the club face-to-face And I think Benzema realised he had to do the same. Tell the club that his intention might be to explore opportunities. But the feedback from Al-Itihad, even though it was quite a tense situation because Benzema was late back to mid-season training, was, we don't want you to leave. And that didn't just come from the club where you need a green light. It also came from the Ministry of Sport. So this was the challenge for Benzema, that if he wanted to try and leave Saudi Arabia right now, he needed a green light from the manager, Gallardo, from a new sporting director, Planes, from PIF within the club, from PIF outside of the club and from the Ministry of Sport. And he did not have those green lights. So Leon and John Textor wanted to try and have Benzema return, which is a sentimental story, but not feasible financially. And many of the links with the Premier League clubs were just speculation. Chelsea dismissed a move for Benzema. Of course, they were aware that something might present itself, but the wrong age, the wrong wage. There was never anything despite reports with Benzema and Arsenal. And again, Manchester United downplayed the links as well. So Benzema's staying in Saudi Arabia. It's true that might change in the summer. It's also accurate that conversations about his future have been difficult and will need to now continue once the window shuts. But there was never anything advanced to suggest that Benzema would get a move away this window.
Look, we're going to talk to um, uh, Fabrizio in just a minute and do keep your uh, questions coming in. All already got quite a few to go through, which uh, Ben and I will do uh, very shortly. Fabrizio's got uh, a load to answer as well. Uh, let's move on just to a few more names, Ben, being thrown around as possible moves in the last uh, few hours of this window. Uh, Jota being one of them. Yeah, Jota is at Al Ittihad and the club and the player would like to find a solution. So this will be one to watch right until the end of today. A reminder, the Saudi window shuts at midnight tonight, whereas as far as Premier League clubs are concerned, they've got until the 1st of February at 11pm. So something's got to give today. And Al Ittihad have tried with Jota. They agreed a loan deal with Al Ittifat, Gerard's club, but the player didn't want to go. And now West Ham may consider it because they're struggling to get Ibrahim Osman over the line due to the price that is being asked. And Brighton have entered that race as well. So Jota would like the move. He would like an 18-month loan, but there's tax complications surrounding a deal. And also the wage may be a stumbling block. And I use the word may because... The reports about the Saudi wages are sometimes exaggerated. So at the top extreme, Jota's wage is €225,000 a week. And some sources outside of Saudi stand that up. And that's about £190,000. And that's important because it means that Jota would be West Ham's highest earner, 40 k or so more than Lucas Paqueta a week. But at the lower extreme, Saudi sources insist the wage is only 80,000 a week. And that's well within West Ham's budget. So then if they can resolve the tax situation, they might be able to get it over the line. So keep an eye on the wage situation because there are conflicting reports. But for example, those that I've spoken to close to Al Ittifaq, who agreed to cover 100% of the wage for Jota, insist, and they had the money because Henderson had departed. So they had 200,000 a week, they had 100,000 a week. So it wasn't an issue over their wage structure after Henderson left, but they insist that that deal for 100% of the wage coverage was only 100,000, and I know I'm jumping between currencies here, but 100,000 US dollars or about 80,000 pounds a week. If the wage is at that level, West Ham might be able to do something in the coming hours. So nothing is agreed yet, but it's one to watch this afternoon. Okay, thanks, Ben. Keep your questions coming in. Uh, we're just about to go to Fab uh, in one moment. Uh, I just want to Let's round up Saudi and Almiron. I know there are questions coming in about Newcastle and players um, that Eddie Howe is saying that players would have to go out before any came in. Uh, Kendall Jones asking any possible loan options for Newcastle. Howe said none would come in unless one left. Well, uh, Manquillo left. But is let's talk about Almiron uh, specifically. Is there any likelihood that he's going to leave as far as you understand it? Not now, and certainly not to a Saudi club. We can never say never because there's still a couple of days left of the window for clubs outside of Saudi. But the big story was Al-Shabaab, who had agreed verbally a package with Newcastle worth around 30 million euros and then had the task of convincing the player. And when they went to the player side, they understood very quickly that he didn't want to leave now to Saudi anyway. And as a consequence, they never tabled a formal offer or approach. And what you find with these stories is that there has to be an element when there's club-to-club -club negotiation before the player's really in the loop of 
narrative rewriting in retrospect, and this is very common. So you'd now fully expect Newcastle to say, well, we always wanted to keep Almiron. We never got a formal offer for Almiron. We never agreed anything for Almiron, but there's no smoke without fire. And Saudi sources insist, and certainly to me, have provided enough information and evidence to back up the fact that Newcastle and Al-Shabaab had agreed something for Almiron verbally, but not formally. And then Almiron didn't want to go despite some informal discussions. And as a consequence, the deal is off. So that one now won't happen to Saudi. It'll be interesting to see if anybody else realizes he's available in the market for maybe 25 million. I think Newcastle would argue they want close to 30, but they'd agreed this 30 million euros number, which is only about 26 million quid. So the door's open there if another club was to come in for Almiron outside of Saudi Arabia. But he's in the squad for Villa, having recovered from illness and the Al-Shabaab move this window will now not happen. Okay, that's really interesting, Ben. Thank you very much. That's quite a definitive answer there from Ben. Plenty more of those on the way here on today's debrief, our deadline Q&A. Uh, I think it's a good time. Let's bring in Fabrizio, who we caught up with a little bit earlier and asked him all sorts of questions, many of which you've been asking as well. Fabrizio, thanks for joining us again on what is a busy time as we edge towards the closure of that window and we can all get some sleep. So a bit of surprise that that Jurgen Klopp announces his departure mid-season. How do you think will that impact the futures of the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah? It will obviously impact because when you change everything at the club, obviously big players always wait to have a conversation with the club to understand who's going to be the new director, who's going to be the new manager, what kind of project they have in mind. So it's quite obvious, I think, that they will take some time to, to discuss with the club and to understand what's going on at Liverpool before deciding their, their future together with Liverpool. So I don't think Liverpool fans have to be in panic. This is absolutely normal process when things are changing after a fantastic era like Jurgen Klopp at, at Liverpool. And just a conversation with these players will be needed, more than one probably, to explain them what's next. So this is the normal process, but I would not be in, in, uh, in panic. It's just, it's just part of the change and part of explaining the players what's next. But it's a big turnaround at Liverpool. They're going to lose a manager. And even sooner than that, they will need a new sporting director. Are there any leading contenders at this point? In terms of director, still nothing because the internal discussion is still taking place on who is the best man to make it happen. We had some rumours in these days, but I'm told that nothing is yet in the concrete or advanced stages. So better to wait some week, I think, before we know who is the man they really want at Liverpool in terms of director of, of football. In terms of manager, for sure, two names are Xabi Alonso and Roberto Rezerbi. These two names are really appreciated by people at the club. But I think before deciding who is the leading candidate, they are waiting for the new director. So they want to appoint a new director and then to decide on the new manager. So there is still a chance also for other managers to enter this shortlist and become the new Liverpool manager. But for sure, Xabi Alonso obviously is, uh, is appreciated at the club. Uh, and, and we know why, obviously, the relationship is still fantastic between people at Liverpool and, uh, and Xabi Alonso and uh, Roberto De Zerbi is appreciated by many clubs around Europe really uh, he's doing a fantastic job at Brighton so I think he could be one more candidate one more serious candidate for a uh, for Liverpool job. Fabrizio let's move on to Chelsea Amanda Broyer could still exit this month a few hours ago you reported that Wolves have had a rejected bid we know that Fulham are considering Broyer as well what's the latest? 
Yeah, both clubs are interested. Um, so these are possibilities till the end of the of the window because the situation remains open. So Chelsea didn't say to any club that they are not going to let Broya leave, but they rejected the proposal. The proposal was in the morning from Wolves. It was a loan proposal. Chelsea said no, they don't want to let the player leave at the current condition. So on a loan deal, so this is something that they believe is making no sense at this point of the window. And this is why Broya to Wolves at the moment is not happening. Let's see if some other club will present an official bid. The interest from Fulham is still there. Uh, we heard some stories about Aston Villa, but from what I'm hearing, this swap deal with John Duran is not happening as of now. And so let's see. I think the Chelsea situation till the final minutes could be could be interesting, but nothing super big at the moment. It's just about opportunities and this kind of situations involving also Armando Broya. And what about Conor Gallagher? It feels like we've been talking about him all window. One of Chelsea's best players this season. Any chance he goes in the coming days? The only chance is to put big money on the table. And at the moment, this is not happening. From what I'm hearing, Chelsea and Tottenham are not in direct contact for Conor Gallagher. So the appreciation on Tottenham's side for Conor Gallagher is very clear since the summer. Andrzej Postecoglou is a big fan of the player. So this is why I think we still have his name around uh, as, a, as a possibility for Tottenham midfield. They would love to go for Conor Gallagher. But it's not easy uh, because, yes, Chelsea could be open to selling. So potentially is, a, is an interesting story. But at the moment, it's not something concrete between the two clubs and not even on player side. From what I've heard, mm, there is still no conversation between Tottenham and the agents of, of Conor Gallagher. So if they want to make something happen, it has to be for important money in this window. Otherwise, the player will stay at Chelsea, very happy to stay at Chelsea and then probably decide his future in the, in the summer transfer window. But at the moment, it's not something really concrete. There is a potential because Chelsea could be open to, to selling it. Well, a word on Spurs more generally, as you say, linked with Gallagher. Could they still bring in a new midfielder now that uh, Hoiberg is set to stay? Yes, but I don't think, as I always say, it's going to be something guaranteed. So in case they find the right opportunity, Tottenham are quite open. They still have some budget left on the on the market so they still have the possibility to do something creative in them um, in, in some positions but at the moment nothing is imminent and they don't want to waste money on players they maybe don't trust so the idea is to look at the market till the final hours otherwise they're very happy with Ragusin deal they're very happy with Timo Werner they believe they had a very good January transfer window in a very complicated context because Radu Dragosin was basically 50% of the money spent in England for uh, the January transfer window so far. So the message from Tottenham is that they already did a good job. They're very happy with these players. If they find an opportunity in the final minutes, okay. Otherwise, they're very happy with the current squad. Yeah, and that shows just how quiet it's been in, in England. And, and Newcastle have had a pretty tough window. Eddie Howe has constantly hinted at outgoings. Will any of their big names exit before the window is closed? Let's see. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to be that easy, yeah? because we and when you have these names, we know today is going to close the Saudi the Saudi market, so is one opportunity that is going to finish for for Newcastle for Miguel Almiron. Then there are also other names like Lascelles with Besiktas, but at the moment also that one is not that imminent. I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to be super easy. I think it's also likely for Newcastle with, to stay with the same squad and maybe try to add one more midfielder on loan in the final hours of the window. There is also a possibility. But it's not easy to sell these players in a January window. In a complicated January window, also in other countries, not just in England, because it's very difficult in every single country. Financial for plays creating big issues. Um, at the moment, I don't think this is going to be something guaranteed or easy for Newcastle to sell a big player in the final hours. Let's talk about Manchester United. The club say that an internal disciplinary matter 
is now dealt with concerning Marcus Rashford. It's after he was seen in a Belfast nightclub a day before training. Could Rashford's future be a topic of conversation at the club for this summer? I think that could be, but it's not something uh, decided now uh, at all. So I'm sure we will start hearing this story in the next weeks and months because obviously after the behaviour of Rashford, we will have many of these kind of stories. But at the moment, Manchester United are not thinking about it. I think before deciding on Rashford and all the other players, also in this case, they need a new director of football. They want Dan Ashworth from Newcastle. They will try to bring him to the club in the next weeks or other candidates like Paul Mitchell. So there are uh, many names uh, as candidates at Manchester United for that job. So I think it will take some time before Manchester United will decide their strategy for the summer transfer window. And also I'm curious to see which clubs will be in the market for that kind of player with that kind of budget. Because it's not easy to sign a player like Marcus Rashford with a long-term contract at Manchester United, a huge salary. So it's not easy at all. So at the moment, really, nothing is happening. I was checking again also yesterday, but nothing at all has been planned for the summer transfer window. I think in terms of possibility, yes, but it's not something that at the moment is guaranteed or already discussed. Finally then, uh, Fabrizio, a, a word on Jacob Ramsey at Aston Villa. It's huge interest in him, uh, but also a big price tag. I, I wonder if uh, any sale is possible within the next 48 hours. I see that complicated, honestly, because the interest is absolutely concrete. But also in this case, he's an important player for Aston Villa. He's a player really appreciated by Unai Emery. So it would take really big, big money to, to make it happen. And again, we know that Newcastle have in this moment no possibility to make it happen for, for big money. Same also for uh, uh, for other clubs linked with this move. Also, Bayern have been linked, but Bayern at the moment are not actively looking for a new midfielder. They are quite happy with the players they signed. So at the moment, it's not considered something really concrete or advanced. But we know in the final hours of the market, never say never. Fabrizio, just a final one, a slightly more fun one. As ever, you've broken some incredible exclusives, Jordan Henderson to Ajax, for example. And we've seen some surprises during this window, Timo Werner to Spurs, for example. What's been your favourite transfer of the January window to date? Ah, good question. Uh, I would probably mention Jordan Henderson because that was completely unexpected. When I heard this story for the first time, I was quite surprised. I thought that this was probably not going to happen because we know how tough it is to negotiate with Saudi clubs. They didn't want any player to leave. So to see Jordan Anderson joining Ajax was a big surprise for me when, when I first got the news. And uh, I think it's a fantastic signing for, for Ajax. So I would probably mention Jordan, uh, Jordan Anderson. And then let's see, because I think in the final days, there is still something nice that could happen around, uh, around Europe. So I'm sure that, for example, I'm curious to see how this Antonio Nusa story will will end up because he's a very talented boy and I would be very happy to see him joining an important club around Europe. We'll see what happens in the next uh, 36 hours or so. Fabrizio, as ever, thanks for your time. We'll see you very soon. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao, Fabrizio. As ever, very interesting, Ben, even if there wasn't much dealing going on. But there is some uh, news uh, more lately, right? Okay, that that um, we've seen no Broyer to Wolves, but it looks like Wolves have bagged a youngster, the teenager from PSG. Yes, that is the bit of breaking news. So Wolves are going to be active in the market with Broyer. No real surprise that the bid was rejected because as I reported a few minutes ago, it was a straight loan and Chelsea would like some form of permanence to any exit. So it remains to be seen whether Wolves can do a deal there. 
Obviously, we should keep an eye on Fulham as well. But Wolves have reached an agreement with PSG to sign Noah Lamina on loan. He is an 18-year-old French youth international and attacker. And there'll be a buy option on that deal for around about £1.5 million pounds or €2 million. Euros. It's still being finalised. He had been on loan at Sampdoria as well. And a nice sort of side story here as well is that he's the younger brother of the current Wolves midfielder, Mario Lamina, who is a 30-year-old. So there's an opportunity for two brothers quite far apart in age to get the possibility for maybe a season or two to play together. So that's a nice little side plot to this one as well. Excellent. Uh, all right, Ben, I think it's about time we got through some questions because uh, so many have come through and we haven't got that much time. So I'm going to start with, let's go uh, Chris Furlong, uh, one of our more recent ones, and then I'll go backwards. Um, anything, and, and quite a few people have uh, asked this. We've got some quite a few Leeds fans listening or watching. Um, anything on Leeds, anything happening at all? Chris Furlong, Just Joe Football Show, also asking the same question. What, what's happening at Ellen Road? Yeah, I think Leeds are still going to be very active. They want a fullback. We know that there's interest in Connor Roberts at Burnley. There's a few other teams that are exploring that possibility as well. He's only got 18 months left on his contract. Brentford could be one to watch, and I would keep an eye on Feyenoord as well. But Leeds maybe stand a realistic possibility of getting that one over the line. We know that Chris Metham has been of interest. I don't think that that one is going to happen at the time of recording. And away from the fullback situation, Leeds are definitely one of the clubs, along with Southampton, in for Manuel Benson. And as I reported a few weeks ago, the feeling was Southampton were ahead in that deal, but it's hit some complications and now it doesn't look like Benson is going to go to Southampton. I'm not aware of Leeds advancing anything at this point, despite the fact that over the last kind of week or two, they've been right there. And I think the reason for that is Leeds felt that Southampton would get it over the line. So let's see whether they come back or whether Burnley prefer to just keep the player. But he'd be very useful in the championship as well. And I think that from Southampton's point of view, we know instead they've moved on to David Brooks on a loan deal from Bournemouth. So that could open the door from Leeds' perspective. But the real desire of Leeds, positional-wise, now anyway, is to find another fullback. And if they can do that, they'll be very pleased with their window. And then come the summer, I wouldn't rule out a possibility for Leeds to revisit an old target, which is Ben Brereton-Diaz. It didn't work out for him in Spain. He's obviously moved to Sheffield United, but that's only a straight loan. So don't be surprised if Leeds get promoted come summer, if they come back in for Brereton-Diaz, who's a player that's been on their radar for quite some time. Ben, thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, now, there was another one here from a, a Leeds fan I wanted to look at. Yeah, Jim Housen. Maybe some Leeds connection there. I love your work, Ben. You always seem a decent chap. Jim, you're such a poor judge of character. Uh, any, <laughs> any, <It's true>. any, <laughs> any incomings for Leeds? We've been there. I've asked the question. I just wanted a cheap gag. Uh, so I got Jim in. Um, <laughs> D- Dylan says, any more on Callum Wilson's situation? Well, we've touched on Newcastle a bit, haven't we? Um, ben, anything else to add on, on Newcastle? Because I, I feel like we've covered quite a lot. 
Yeah, just briefly, the feeling is that for 18 to 20 million, Wilson might be available on the market, although Newcastle themselves, sources I speak to, deny that. It's very much Trippier not for sale, Wilson not for sale. So Almiron, Lascelles, the two that might be more likely to leave. But I think some interested parties feel that for 20-odd million, Wilson might be somebody that they could bring into their squad because Newcastle might be forced to sell. I'd still be surprised if anything happens between now and the close of the window. I'm not aware of Chelsea pivoting, even though they're aware of the situation and considering an offer. I think Chelsea will either sign no striker or a young striker rather than look for an older stopgap. And now that Nicholas Jackson's been knocked out earlier than maybe anticipated from AFCON, he'll be back with the squad and that will allow them another option. And obviously, if Broyer doesn't go, there's no reason for Chelsea to necessarily move within the market unless they feel that there's a long-term option and the right target. I think the same applies to Manchester United. He's probably exactly what Manchester United or even Arsenal need at this point. But from Wilson's perspective, you have to consider a move could disrupt him. It could limit his game time compared to Newcastle and in the year of the Euros as well. And then he may know that these clubs that he's being linked with are going to go elsewhere during the summer. And that might be off-putting from his perspective. So I think that Newcastle's position is genuine. They don't want to lose New Wilson in this window. And it becomes more likely, therefore, than not, even though we can't discount it entirely, that Wilson will stay at Newcastle beyond this window. Look, Ben, we we always get so many Chelsea questions, obviously because of your connections there. Um, any in Jimmy's asking uh, any incoming player for Chelsea before the window closes. Um, there there seems to be any good news about Chelsea, Pappy nineteen oh four. These guys wanting to know Ossiman to Chelsea, William Mullenkamp. That is wishful thinking. I think we we've done our Ossiman chat to death. But Ben, <laughs> anything else we can expect at Stamford Bridge before? before we retire at 11 o'clock on Thursday night. Yeah, I'll try and cover as many as I can. I know we've got Osman questions. I'm glad to also see a question about Chelsea women in there. It looks like Jesse Fleming, by the way, is departing. And we'll come on to that in a moment. I've seen the Lena Oberdorf question. So I'll try and cover that to the best of my ability as well. With Osterman, Chelsea may well be a front runner. It's too early to say definitively that he's pre-agreed anything, but the Premier League's the destination for Osterman, not Saudi as far as I'm told. I think there'll be plenty of offers, but when Osterman told CBS he'd made up his mind, I think he's talking about moving to the Premier League. And then we wait and see whether it's Chelsea or Arsenal or Manchester United. But Chelsea stand a realistic chance, I think, because they're audacious enough to pay around the release clause. And um, we know that Osterman is very keen on emulating Didier Drogba. But by the same token, it's worth pointing out that there's some hope for Manchester United if they can get their finances in order. I think a Manchester United approach for Osterman would fall flat because of finances, not because they are concerned they won't be able to persuade him to join under this new era under Ineos. And the reason why I mentioned Manchester United, even though a lot say Chelsea or Arsenal, and we definitely shouldn't discount Arsenal for either Osman or Tony at this point, but Manchester United actually got quite close to signing Osman when he was still at Lille before he joined Napoli. And he spoke to another good friend of his that he trusts in Agalo, who was at Manchester United at the time. And Agalo said, I think you'll get lost in this project at your age and you won't get enough game time or development. And Osman trusted Igalo. But Manchester United was always there at the back of his mind. So 
those that say but he's a Chelsea fan, he'll join Chelsea, he'll emulate Drogba. Remember, he also had a Manchester United shirt as a kid as well. I think the difference is Chelsea are not concerned about finding the finances, which is maybe why they're withholding a little bit in January. Whereas Manchester United, it's a big ask for them to get to that 120, 130 million that would be required. Incomings now for Chelsea, it could be quiet. There's nothing moving with John Duran. Uh, I've seen questions as well about Rooney, who is a player that's done very well in European football, not Wayne Rooney. Of course, it's worth pointing that out, but I, I call him Rooney. And I think that a lot of fans have asked me about that. Rooney Badaji, who's been linked with both Chelsea and Manchester United, could be one for the summer, not necessarily now as far as I'm aware. Only 18, doing very well at Copenhagen. A lot of sources say he doesn't want to move mid-season because he's got seven goals in the Danish Superliga. He's got 10 in all competitions. He's done well in European football, but that could be one to watch. And I wouldn't rule out Benjamin Sesko either, who's got a release clause that's active come summer. And then with Chelsea women... I think that the big question is obviously who's going to replace Emma Hayes. I think Chelsea are further along, I'm told, in the process than they're letting slip. But we don't yet have a singular name, but I would expect that settled sooner rather than later. I think it's true that Chelsea have a concrete interest in Lena Oberdorf and not necessarily going to be possible in the coming days. But let's wait and see because Chelsea are always capable of surprising us. So Summer, I'm told, is more likely and as I've already said, Jesse Fleming is off to Portland Thorns, and I would expect that to be confirmed very shortly. Good stuff, Ben. Let's get through um, some more questions. They keep coming in. Everton, do you expect anyone to come in? And what's the latest with Ben Godfrey and Mason Holgate? I don't know if you can help us out on those, Ben. Yeah, I've made a few inquiries as far as Everton are concerned. I think the first thing as far as incomings are concerned is to understand Everton's financial situation and they're still confident that they're going to win this appeal. And then there's the secondary set of charges. So without going into too much detail, Everton argue that they're fine with the sale of Richarlison financially, even retrospectively during the periods where they've been charged, if the interest payments from their new stadium are removed from the calculations. And when Everton go to an appeal, what they're going to argue is that they were informed by the Premier League informally when they put down their figures that the interest payments would not be under consideration. And subsequently, when it went to an independent panel, they were told that the interest payments did have to be considered and that took them over the threshold. So they're going to argue a miscommunication, a lack of clarity in the rules and if the interest payments are dropped, they argue that because there's a bit of double jeopardy going on, both sets of charges, the ones that have resulted in a 10-point deduction and the new set of charges, which will go to the independent panel, will be dropped and they'll get their points back. So we're going to have to wait and see. But it may allow them to move a little bit more freer in the next window or two, especially if they can stay in the Premier League regardless. There's a concrete interest from Everton in the Benfica midfield of Florentino Luis. Everton have explored a loan deal, but Benfica don't want to let him go. So that's going to be very difficult. And they still want to hang on to Anana if they possibly can. And I think also the other thing about Anana, which is always a little bit perhaps under-reported, is the fact that Everton paid $33 million for Anana. So even if they were to be forced into some kind of cut price deal, 
it's still going to require 45, 50, 55 million. And that's not within Arsenal's budget. That's not within other clubs, as far as I'm aware, in this window. So I think Anana will be one more to watch for the summer rather than necessarily now. I don't have too much information to bring you on Godfrey or Holgate as it stands. I think it's fair to say that Leeds hold a concrete interest in the player and we'll wait and see whether anything develops. They're certainly not the only one. So that might be one to watch between now and the end of the window. But I think that Everton will be happy if it's a quiet end to the window and they keep hold of what they've got predominantly. Uh, they don't overextend financially and then they'll focus on trying to win that appeal. Thanks very much indeed, Ben. You are listening to The Debrief. Any more questions, throw them in quickly before we have to wrap up in the next five minutes or we'll so. We'll do a quick Let's fire. Just... We'll do a quick fire. Yeah, exactly. If there are other ones over there. Okay, quick one, Ben. Right. A Manchester United still exploring the loan market before the deadline. That's MUFC MPB. I think it's likely to be quiet for Manchester United because we know that Anthony Martial is not going to depart in this window and Ineos are not even in. So Manchester United have to be economical and striker is obviously the priority. If there was any possibility of them getting Eric Maxim Chupamoting over the line in the next few days, they would and the players open to it. But Bayern don't want to let him leave, even with Harry Kane arriving. And the reason for that is because last goals he last season he scored 17 goals in all competitions. This season he's not playing quite as often, but he is still appearing off the bench. He still made 17 appearances. And in addition to that, he's chipped in with a couple of goals. It's not as prolific, but I think Bayern value him as a squad player, which makes January quite tough for Manchester United. And then by the summer, they're not going to want a stopgap and an older option. So he then becomes off the table. They're going to want someone a little bit younger with a bit more longevity at the club. So I think Manchester United will struggle. And there's no guarantee that a striker comes in between now and the end of the window. OK, a couple of questions on Broyer, which we have dealt with. Uh Ben, what about how much is Deserby's release clause? You might not know how much that is, but surely he is a name in the frame for both Barcelona or Liverpool next season. Yeah, I think Deserby can have his pick. He might even wait to succeed Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. And therefore, we shouldn't presume that it's going to be easy, the same with Xabi Alonso, just for Liverpool or Barcelona to come calling for these kind of names. We need to respect Brighton. They're doing brilliant at the moment. And the release clause doesn't really matter because if Brighton decide it's right for the club, then as with Graham Potter, they're going to allow the manager to leave and it's going to be very amicable. So this isn't about a release clause just being triggered. It's more around a amicable conversation should a formal offer come. And one of the reasons why Klopp wanted to announce it when he did was to get it out the way, but also because Liverpool need to start approaching candidates. At the time we're recording, nobody's been approached. So you'll hear a lot of rumours. There are obvious front runners. Deserby's one of them. Alonso is one of them. Ange Postacoglu is a little bit of a dark horse. Hansi Flick, Julian Nagelsmann could come into the mix as well. But Liverpool will have five to seven candidates already because the succession plan is in place. And only now will they start considering reaching out and interviewing. And once you do that, things get in the public domain. And that's why Klopp wanted to announce his decision first. So Deserby does have a release clause and it's somewhere in the region of 10 to 12 million pounds as far as I'm aware. 
Uh, it also, by the way, can't be activated mid-season, as far as I'm told. So that's not a problem for Liverpool because Klopp's not going until the summer. But this is not a mechanism that can be done right now. So if Liverpool want to pre-agree before the release clause is active for De Zerbi, they may have to go down a different route and that release clause may be irrelevant or they may pre-agree something and then when the time comes, when it's legally active in the summer, they might activate it. So nothing is guaranteed as far as the release clause coming into play with De Zerbi. He will be a candidate, no doubt, for Liverpool. That's what sources intimate. But we need to respect the Brighton side because he's doing well there and he's enjoying his time on the South Coast. So maybe he'll choose to stay and wait because I still think that one day, it might not be his next move and it might not therefore be directly after Pep Guardiola. But I still think there is a strong possibility one day De Zerbi will manage Manchester City. Ben, I thought you were doing quick fire. <laughs> there was too much. There was <laughs> too, too much. Too, there's too much information in there. You'll have heard this, but just reporting that Everton's appeal hearing following their 10-point deduction sanction for breaching profitability and sustainability rules will be heard over the next three days. So that's good news for Everton fans. They will find out, hopefully very shortly, uh, hopefully they'll give a, a decision not long after that. I don't know if they have to give it uh, after the end of three days, Ben. You'll know better than me. Yeah, so the way it works is that the appeal process is against the current punishment, but Everton believes, as I said before, that it will be linked to new charges. So if a precedent from the appeal says the interest payments are discounted, they believe that the new set of charges against them will become largely irrelevant. The interesting thing about the appeal is that one no new evidence can be presented, and two, it's final. So you can't go beyond this process, yeah. even to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. There's no CAS, is there? No, that's not possible. So then, once the appeal takes place, which will be very quick because you can't present new evidence, so it's, a, it's almost an interpretation, and Everton's argument, as I say, is clear. Then we'll find out whether the points are reduced or removed entirely, and we have to respect both sides, but the Everton perspective is that their appeal will be robust and that they are confident of, at worst, getting some points back and, at best, getting, obviously, all of their points back. Ben, we've got very few minutes left. Uh, any news on Chelsea Santos? I think this is in relation to Andre Santos, and he'd returned from Nottingham Forest yep. as opposed to Santos, the Brazilian club, and Chelsea yeah. buying them potentially, which is another little side story. Yeah, but well, if I wouldn't rule that out of the question. <laughs> if we're talking about Andre Santos, then it looks like having not played many minutes at Nottingham Forest, he's going to stay with the Chelsea squad. Uh, they could potentially be open to a late twist on that, but all expectations are that he's going to stay in the final days of the window. And I also just want to bring you another little bit of breaking news from Fabrizio, who obviously learned this after he spoke to us in the last kind of 10, 15 minutes or so. But yep. Fabrizio is now confirming another big story from this window that Morgan Rogers to Aston Villa is now likely to happen. There's a verbal agreement in place with Middlesbrough. Obviously, I've not had time to personally stand this one up whilst we've been live, but we know that Fabrizio is always on the mark. So Fabrizio says that after a final proposal, Middlesbrough have now accepted and the player is on his way for a medical in the next 24 hours. So Morgan Rogers to Aston Villa looking like barring anything unexpected with formalities, it's a done deal. 
Tremendous. I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. We could go on forever. We've, uh, Marcus, we did discuss Wolves signing a striker. You have more or less signed a striker from PSG, uh, the 18-year-old um, striker, a brother of Lamina. It is uh, Noah Lamina, I believe his his first name yeah. is. And he's, uh, he's a young French striker who's coming over from PSG. So that's added to the Wolves squad. And as Ben said a little bit earlier, that may not be the end of the dealings at Molyneux in this transfer window. We're going to have to wrap it up there, folks. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Hope we've been able to answer many of your questions. My thanks to Fabrizio, as ever, to Ben with all his knowledge. We will be back very, very soon on 